Things that go bump in the night do more than wake us up. They threaten the very meaning of home. When we think of home, we usually think of safety, comfort, and a sense of belonging, whether at the scale of the family residence or the nation. But when a home is haunted, it is neither safe nor comfortable, and the people who try to live there feel they don't belong. This might be why we call it a haunted house and not a haunted home. I'm Chris McMorrin, a professor at the National University of Singapore, and you're listening to Home on the Dot. This podcast explores the power and meanings of home in today's world, all through the stories and lives of my students. This episode complicates our usual understandings about home by discussing ghosts and haunted houses. Aisha, an English lit major who recently graduated, points out that the supernatural has long been part of everyday life here, with ancestors and ghosts never far away. For instance, in a previous episode, we talked about the Hungry Ghost Festival, a Chinese tradition that involves burning offerings to deceased ancestors who are thought to visit the living once a year. And while celebrating the Muslim holiday of Hari Raya earlier this year, Aisha and her family spent part of the evening sharing old Malay ghost stories just for fun. Importantly, thanks in part to the long interweaving of cultures on this little red dot, Singaporeans know each other's ghosts. So despite the fact that the Pontianak is a Malay ghost, a young woman with long black hair who haunts banana trees and preys on men, my Chinese and Indian students also find her frightening. And Aisha knows to be respectful of the offerings left in public spaces for Chinese ancestors during the Hungry Ghost Festival. Moreover, the physical landscape literally forces the living to deal with the dead. As a tiny island with a large population, new construction frequently occurs on the remains of past generations. Many HDB estates sit atop former cemeteries, and a new Cross Island Expressway is currently being built through Bukit Brown Cemetery, forcing the graves to be exhumed and the remains to be cremated and relocated elsewhere. Some of my colleagues even claim NUS is haunted, since it was built on a key site in the Battle of Singapore when Japanese forces invaded in February 1942. The ghosts of Australian and Indian soldiers have been reportedly seen on the forested hillsides that surround our offices and classrooms. It seems there is nowhere to escape Singapore's ghosts, ancestors, and spirits. Russell Lee's True Singapore Ghost Stories is a famous series of horror tales from Singapore and the surrounding region. It's been a massive hit since its initial release in 1989, with 26 books to date. I've been a fan of the series ever since I was in primary school. I fell in love with it after finding out about it at school, where it was a popular reading choice during morning assembly, although it wasn't quite approved by the school. Over the years, I bought each new edition that was released, and when I couldn't, made sure to go to the library to catch up on any stories I had missed. 
So when it came to thinking about a topic for this podcast, I instantly thought about how all these stories challenge the idea of home as something safe and comfortable by making them places that freak us out. I spent two weeks asking family, friends and strangers to tell me their favourite ghost stories, hoping to learn about the connections between home and the supernatural. It seems everyone in Singapore has a ghost story, even my mum. I also heard about a professor at NUS who teaches a class on the supernatural, so I spoke with him too. I had fun, got slightly freaked out, but one thing I kept coming back to was this. What explains Singapore's national fascination with the supernatural, and what does the supernatural have to do with home? Professor Irving Johnson has some ideas. One thing that... But I haven't done any research on this, right? So one thing that... that it's very interesting, right? Uh, ghost stories related to total institutions. Oh. Total institutions meaning army, hospitals, mm. schools, where there's very high levels of discipline, mm. um, very regimented kind of social environments, mm. right? But where you have this all these kind of strange mm. stories that kind of break the mold. Because mm. that's what ghost stories do, right? They break the mold yeah. of, of the rigidity of a system, right? Mm. Professor Johnson teaches a freshman seminar on supernaturalism in Southeast Asia at NUS and has long researched religion and the supernatural. I mean, uh, something can be said, for instance, about discipline, maybe. Mm. The culture of discipline in Singapore. Discipline is very, very rigid. Um, If you read people like Irving Goffman, right, Mm. who was a sociologist writing about asylums in the 1960s in America, and he says that despite the rigidity of the asylum, because everybody's an individual agent, mm-hmm. so they will find ways to break out of this rigidity. Mm-hmm. So what does a horror story do? What does a supernatural sighting tell us? It is a moment, right, where you can break away, you can contest the rigidness of discipline. What does this talk of discipline have to do with home? I mean, that's interesting. Um, HDB estates mm-hmm. are also sites of discipline. As we explained in an earlier episode, HDB flats have been a major success story of the PAP government for over 50 years. But buying an apartment is a complicated process tightly controlled by the government, which decides who is eligible and where they will live, based on age, marital status, race, income and where the rest of your family lives. Yeah, the structure of an HDB estate is very much disciplined mm. who can apply to an estate you go by CMIO again mm. right how many percentage for Malay in this estate how many percentage Indian how many percentage mm. Chinese um, what you can do and cannot do is so con- constrained mm. whether you can raise cats whether you can bring big dogs mm. small dogs um, how many people are allowed in the in the house what what you do in terms of renovation to the house actually mm. you have to go to HDB and all that mm. The process of applying for an HDB flat is already so disciplined. Mm. You know, the, the, the levels, the steps, you know, you're basically entering into Singapore mm. bureaucracy. It's not like I go and buy a condo, I just pay the money, I yeah. get the condo. Mm. HDB is very different. Mm. So, if you think about stories about the supernatural within an HDB estate, right? I, I don't know that many, like, mm. right? Um, you could also argue... You could also argue, I mean, that it is a way in which perhaps, right, for individuals, right, Mm. um, to kind of contest Mm. the 
the rigidity of public housing in Singapore. Need an example? How about this one from my mum? Okay, this was something I heard from when I visited one of my neighbours during Hari Raya and she told me about her sister who recently sold her house and wanted to actually upgrade to an executive flat in Tampines and uh, and they kind of uh, thought that this was would be their actually final home that they will stay for a long time but unfortunately as they uh, stayed in the house they begin to experience um, unfortunate happenings which uh, left them uh, questioning whether they would actually be able to pull through. My family has always shared ghost stories. Some of them have actually experienced these strange occurrences. My cousin once told us that a ghost followed him home and now lurks on his doorstep. Of course, he told us this while we were already in his home, which made the story even creepier since we had to pass the doorstep on our way out. My mom is a housing agent so she's always hearing great stories about haunted flats and sharing these stories with us. Well, what happened was basically she said that uh, once they started staying there, the family were experiencing... Uh, everybody was able to actually see uh, people in the house, okay? And they were not, of course, not human. And it was scary because they had children. They had very, very young children. So, and her husband, this lady, her husband, she's not working. So her husband would be out at work sometime during night shift and all. And the children would be uh, kind of um, totally uh, freaking out because uh, the thing was just moving around their house. So the family just upgraded their house and moved into a newer, larger apartment. But they weren't alone. Something or someone was already living there. So they would be. They they finally called people in to um, to look at the house, and they found that actually they were like a family staying in the house. Uh, so it's ghosts, lah, basically, you know. But it's like a family of ghosts staying in the house. So they did some kind of uh, cleansing of the house and all. So it, it's kind of like the thing was uh, out of was put out of the house. And they actually thought that that was the end of the whole um, unfortunate incident and they would be able to actually live peacefully then. They got the cleansing done by an ustaz, a religious scholar who is occasionally called upon to use their religious knowledge to deal with exorcisms. This process of cleansing normally involves reading religious scriptures to banish the ghosts. However, while this process kicked out the ghosts, they wanted back in. So what happens, uh, this is anyway, is an executive mention then. So what happens after that was, uh, they, every time during, for the Muslims basically, they have their uh, Maghrib, it's uh, called the Maghrib prayers, which is the seven plus prayers that they have. And basically during this time, basically all the Muslims basically try to stay indoors and um, won't like their children, especially young children to go out at night. So what happens is uh, while they were in the house, like um, doing their own thing, suddenly they hear knocking from the house. And then uh, it's like a weird kind of knocking, you know. And they realise that it's actually not uh, a human. So this, this, uh, this uh, really freaked them out. 
because it's like the thing is out of the house but actually is trying to get into the house. Despite everything, it wasn't over. You can't get rid of a spirit that easily. So it ended up that this happened every day after the cleansing. So they, they, they finally realised that the thing is still there and it was at the leaf kind of thing that people can actually, they, the family can actually see. So you actually had people seeing this ghost just lurking in the corridors, waiting. So what happens is the when the husband is night shift, it's just like the whole big house, everybody will just huddle into one room and stay and be scared and stay in all in one room, you know. So so I was asking, asking her, so, so what is their plans? Because they like kind of like shifted just recently into the house. So they were saying that uh, the sister is just waiting for the house to uh, complete the period uh, after which they will actually sell the house because they will not be able to stay in that house anymore considering that this is something that uh, is everyday happening now. The rigid HDB system required the family to wait about five years before they could move out of this haunted flat. In the meantime, what could they do? And it seems that after they found out, right, people were telling them the person who came to cleanse the house was telling them that they cannot lapse in their prayers or their practices that they have to uh, practice, I mean, daily in the house, like reading of the Quran. They have to keep the place really um, properly, uh, what do you call it, like uh, religiously, they have to do all these prayers and all very religiously so that the thing cannot come inside the house. But if there's any lapses in their practices and all, this thing can basically easily come in, back into the house. The family had no choice but to stick it out for another five years, doing their daily religious practices to keep the ghosts outside their front door. What really made a chill run down my spine was how this family now lives in a state of limbo. The house legally belongs to them, but they never really feel like they belong. For Professor Johnson, HDB flats are just one of many Singaporean institutions whose underlying rationality and rigid system might inspire horror stories. So you think of Singapore, for instance, you have all these symbols of modernity, Changi Airport, right, um, Esplanade, these are the Marina Bay Sands, these are the, the public, like you say, you know, the geographies, the public geographies of space, HDB mm. estates, yeah. which are celebrated by the state as sites of pure rationality, mm. right? Um, economic development, the rise of the PAP, mm-hmm. and what they have done. Mm-hmm. Um, but do we find an alternative reading of this? And this is the reading that comes from the local level. Mm-hmm. These are the ghosts that live in lifts, you know. Yeah. These are the ghosts that live in um, tree and tree orchard. Yeah. Places like that, no? Yeah. Um, as if Singaporeans are fighting back. Yeah. Almost, you know, mm-hmm. resisting almost this. Of course, they're not doing it. They're not doing it. Um, they're not doing it uh, with knowledge mm-hmm. that they're doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a very unspoken of resistance. Mm, subconscious. It's a subconscious because you know academics we like to we like some academics uh, they, they they generalize, you see, they say, oh by doing this you're actually resisting. But to the auntie who's telling the story, she's not resisting anything. Mm, yeah. Right? But 
you kind of read the motives of the story. La. Another common side of discipline that inspires ghost stories is the army camp. Think of an army camp. Mm. So rigid, so strict, so disciplined, right? That it takes away your identity as a person, mm. right? Because you wear a uniform, you shave your head, your name is taken away, you become private so-and-so, recruit so-and-so. Yeah. Um, same thing in a hospital, right? Mm. You wear the hospital clothes, you mm. are a patient, you know, you are in this this rigid system. In schools, the same thing. Mm. Um where expressions of individualism, expressions of individual agency become constrained, confined, right? And that's when people all over the world, right, would find ways to kind of break out of this this, this confining rigidity. Mm. And they do it in different ways, no? Mm. So when soldiers get together and tell a story, they're no longer part of the... The moment of telling, right, mm. of one person telling, the other person listening, and then everybody sharing in that experience, they're, they're taken out of the, 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 the terribleness mm. of, of that kind of disciplinary environment. No? Mm. Yeah. yeah, and they can, they can create an identity for their camp, for themselves. For, you know. Indeed, the supernatural seems to be something that not only influences our perception of home, but it's also constructed by it. Clearly, the supernatural has rooted itself deeply in Singapore. One might even say it's become natural for the supernatural to exist here, so much so that the supernatural becomes people's first reaction to strange incidents. For instance, in recent years, Yishun gained a reputation as a cursed town due to a number of strange incidents occurring there, including many stray cats that died mysteriously. Clearly, Singapore's fascination with the supernatural is alive and well, and with the sharing of these tales, not only are they brought to life, but they contribute to the very essence of our understanding of Singapore. It's interesting that while home is supposed to be a place that is familiar, the omnipresence of the supernatural not only transcends these boundaries, but also leads us to question, how do we decide what is home and who belongs? I admit, I'm a skeptic. I don't believe in ghosts or haunted houses. But I find it refreshing that Aisha, Stanley, and many other students are open-minded about the supernatural. University has taught them to identify valid evidence and make reasoned arguments. But there is still room in their lives for the unexplainable. While I don't believe in ghosts, I do believe ghost stories play an important part in helping us understand home. In fact, Professor Johnson's comments about how ghost stories help us resist rigid systems makes me think back to all the horror movies of my childhood based in the suburbs. The suburban home had been built up in the popular imagination to be the ultimate safe and comfortable space. But in these films, the home turned against its residents by harboring ghosts or making inhabitants more vulnerable to a murderous stranger because of its location. Films like A Nightmare on Elm Street and Poltergeist offered a way to critique the social rigidity imposed by suburban living, with its carefully manicured lawns and perfectly dressed residents. These films helped broaden my perspective on home by showing that not all was perfect in suburbia. This episode of Home on the Dot was written and produced by Siti Aisha. 
Our sound engineer was Stanley Chow. Special thanks this week goes to Aisha's mom and Professor Johnson for their time and their ghost stories. Thanks also to my many former students who insisted I incorporate the topic of haunted houses into my home module. For more information about this episode and the Home on the Dot project, or to share your own ghost stories, please visit tinyurl.com slash home on the dot or our Facebook page, Home on the Dot. Please also check out our website for links to exciting research on haunted homes by Karen Lipman, a geographer at Queen Mary University of London and author of Cohabiting with Ghosts, Knowledge, Experience and Belief, and The Domestic Uncanny, published in 2014 by Ashgate. Thanks for listening.